0: Welcome to the Voices of Grambling podcast. My name is Brian McGowan, and I am the William McIntosh Endowed Professor of Liberal Arts in the History Department at Grambling State University. I will be your host for today's episode. I will be interviewing Suzanne Mayo, a student in Grambling in the 1970s, a longtime faculty member, and the second female SGA president. Professor Mayo, thank you for joining us today. Can you tell us about how and why you decided to come to Grambling?
1: My father and I negotiated after my mother passed. He said, what does it take to get you to go to grammar? I said, I'll apply, of course, but uh, I'm going to Howard. Uh, Maybe I can do a dual degree. I'm not sure you can do that in today's time, but... Anyway, we negotiated up until about graduation from high school. And he said, If you stay at Grambling, I'll buy your car. I said, Do I get to choose the car? I got a 76 Trans Am with a bird on top. And so that's what I'm known for around Grambling the lady with the white car <laughs> with the bird. So I never went back to Howard to, to finish, but uh, it's still in my heart. That's, but a, I love great,
0: <laughs> that's a great story. Um, yeah, I remember. I remember my brother. Um, my father made a similar deal with my brother. He he would get him a car if he if he went to college. My brother wasn't sure he wanted to go to college, and yeah, mm-hmm. my dad managed to bribe him with a car. So,
1: absolutely. <laughs>
0: um. Anyway, um. So let's see. So when were you actually um, a student at Grambling?
1: I started in the summer of 1975 in the High Ability program that we still have at Grambling State. I was an honor student with the 3.2 average. I came to Grambling in the summer of 75. I spent the rest of the summer working in Washington, and then I enrolled as a uh, freshman, second semester freshman, in the summer of 76, officially, uh, after I graduated from high school in 1976, the bicentennial of the United States and uh, I graduated three years later. I went every summer, every fall of the year, I went to Mexico with Dr. Brooks and the Spanish department because they had this travel study tour and many of the uh, students who were my classmates, some of them still work here at Grambling or who were from Mexico and we lived with families during the Christmas break. I took online classes as well because Grambling was emerging, we were the leader we were the first uh, university in the state of Louisiana to have an online program. And I was one of those recipients of that. So I took all of my foreign language courses uh, on a study abroad trip every Christmas. I spent Christmas and New Year's in Mexico for three summers between 76 and 79. And I was able to graduate in three years because of it. And I'm very grateful for the online um, platform. And I teach in that right now. I've been literally doing online classes since 1976.
0: Wow, I didn't realize that that program was that old. Um, that's fantastic. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I wish that one of the things as a, as a professor that I wish is that Grambling had a more robust um, study abroad program. Um, I, I think that would be wonderful for our students. So
1: We'll have to work on that, Dr. McGowan. Let's work on that together. I want we to be will. a part of it. It's one of my, that's on my bucket list, too. To be yeah, a we'll, have to, yes,
0: we'll have to make sure we do that. That's fantastic. Yes. Well, you've already done uh described a little bit about this but um how would you describe your experiences as a grambling student
1: well my student experience was um interesting and transformational and i'll use those two words first i'll uh, share with you and the students that uh, in the community that because i grew up here i knew mostly everybody on campus in some way or some form or fashion Uh, My parents being professors, that helped, and sometimes that was a hindrance because that means, uh, as as students know, that means people are watching you, and you know you're on blast, and you know there's some things you just can't do because the expectation of you is very high. But there's also a sense of community that I think as a student at Grambling, I was able to gain an array and a myriad of confidences that i don't think i would have been able to do at another institution there's something about being in a place where you know you can be nurtured where there's a sense of community there's pride this whole notion of it takes a village which is an african proverb actually and it comes to us as students But we look at it as, oh my God, I want to get away from home, which is probably why I was so immersed in wanting to go to Howard because I wanted to get away from Grambling. But I stayed at Grambling. And so my experience with being a student turned into one of the best experiences that I could have had at that time. And I think students can experience that again. And I think they still do. Um, In the fact that you know this sense that you're somebody now we take that literally we say it but it is actually ingrained in who we are i've worked around the world i've traveled around the world i am a diversity advocate i immerse myself in helping people who are in communities that they may not look like the people in their communities. For instance, I, I use diversity and my inclusiveness philosophy and my teaching and my work and everything that I've ever done in the various careers that I've had is that I look at It's everybody, the place where everybody is somebody. I want when people come to our institution, and this is what I got about my experience of being at Gramley. When they come here, I want them to feel like they're a part of this community. So not only are they just somebody, they're really a part of that. So we say Fan. we use it very loosely, but it's real because I've been to institutions where I've worked, where I've studied, where I have not known anybody and I had to find my place. Joel Osteen's father says the place that is there is where you want to be. I say the place that is there is Grambling State. If you find that in a college student experience, everything else in your career will flow like honey. And that was my experience at Grambling State University. So I'm indebted to that. Did I know that back in 75, 76? to 79 probably not i was just going to school to do the best thing i could because i wanted to get out so i could get into the world but i found later that being a student is probably the best experience you can do in your lifetime and immerse yourself in it so that when you do graduate you have the rest of your life to work and do things but that experience is life-changing and it was for me
0: that's that's a fantastic answer thank you so much i've had Obviously, I've never been a student at Grambling, but I, I've had similar sort of experiences. I, I've been able to, to notice that, um, you know, Grambling does definitely go out of its way to try to nurture and, um, you know, and and maybe protect is the wrong word, but kind of protect and grow students um, in, in a way that other many other institutions I've been associated with don't. Um, and uh, I... Certainly, that's something that I try to carry on uh, as well as a faculty member, and um, I, um, I I was very pleased to see that when I first came to Grambling um, as a faculty member, I, I was I was quite pleased. So I, I really do understand exactly what you're saying there, and uh, can appreciate it.
1: Uh, it's a part of the culture, uh, Dr. McGowan at HBCUs, but particularly when the, when it's immersed with the administration, the faculty. And the staff then the students are the recipients of that greatness and that that is something that i think you can only get you get it at a pwi in another way but you don't get it the way you get it at an hbcu it's just yeah. not no i think it's you're never. absolutely
0: right yeah I, I i think you're absolutely right i think it's one of the the great strengths of of uh hbcus for sure
1: yeah
0: um so when you were a student, you were a, a member of the the Student Government Association, and and um, actually the second um, female president of the Student Government Association. Um, at that point, it had only fairly recently been open to female students. Um, were there a lot of female members of the SGA when you joined? Mm-hmm
1: well let me give you a little context um you know i'm a teacher i'm a researcher and a social scientist so you know and i'm not a a preacher but they tell me the preachers have to do this too so let me preach for a little bit when i answer (laughs) this question in the 19 in the mid the early 1970s was a time when women's rights was really at the national core of what was going on culturally socially and economically in the united states of america we're post Civil Rights. So you had an array of faculty members that had gone to major institutions, including my parents, had gone to HBCUs and then gone to major predominantly white, and we call them PWIs, predominantly white institutions, but I'm going to also say Ivy League universities. My father graduated among the first to graduate in at a predominantly white school, he did not go to Howard University. He was too dark. The brown bag test was what they used. They used an actual brown bag, like you put your food in today, and if your skin tone was darker than the brown bag, you could not go to that school, which was Oberlin University, which was the first school to admit Blacks. My father was a musician. My grandfather was a musician. My grandfather worked at the Treasury Department, and at night he was a chiropractor. And so, because my father played the piano for my grandfather when he was being a chiropractor, he had two jobs, he was was awarded a scholarship to go to Oberlin to be in the first class of Blacks to go to that institution. So in the 70s, coming post-civil rights, we're talking 1974, was the first year that the student government president at Gramley, the first female, was Sheila Lowe. She was a member of the same sorority I'm in, Delta Sigma Theta. She was the SGA president at Grambling State University, well, it was Grambling College then. And then I was the SGA president in high school. So there was this whole national movement for women to be a part of leadership, not only at just HBCUs, but across the country. And so what happened is Rodney Brooks became, he was her vice president, and then Sheila Lowe was after that. So after the Student Government Association started working to kind of recruit women to come to Grambling State, they were then going to ask for students to be involved as SGA senators, they were members of the Supreme Court, they were uh, delegates, we had three women who ran for SGA secretary and vice president. So Sheila Lowe was at the high school as student government president. I was, I mean, at the college, Gramlin college, I was at the high school. So by the time I got to Grambling in 1976, 75, 76, Sheila had just graduated. I'm coming in as a freshman. I'm involved in student government as a, as a freshman senator. Um, then I'm Then I get elected to the judicial court when we're, you know, stealing our way through trying to be the next Barbara Jordan and Thurgood Marshall. And all these women were running for office and presidents of organizations. So I stepped in as student government president in 1978 and was encouraged to run because it was the movement in the United States. And that changed the life. The 1970s were never the same. Grambling historically had been around the world with our band doing work. And what happened then was, guess what? We then had to conform. Dr. Johnson, who was president then, Fred had just left, President Jones. And so we're looking at what's gonna happen to Grambling. And there were three women who were the first women to become members of the world-famed Tiger Marching Band. Those discussions happened while I was student government president, and I got to experience, and I knew the three women, because two of them were my classmates. And so there was a time, the answer is yes, there were women focused on it, but also the country was really engrossed in what's happening with women. So we just jumped on the bandwagon at Grambling State. There was some resistance. And I said in a lot of meetings, trying to talk to Mr. Hutchinson and others, Mr. Wiley, Mr. Humphreys, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Harris about, what in the world are we gonna do with women in the band? Why do y'all wanna do this? I even wanted to this year president, because my predecessor was Clarence Glover, the year that before I was SGA president, he used to go into the locker room with the football team. And Coach Robinson was in fact uh, the football coach. He was my play guard father, and as well as he was my church member. And I said to him, Coach, I'm now the fem- the female student government president. I want to go in the locker room and pray with the football team the same way that you let Clarence Glover go in. He said, what? (laughs) I said, and I repeated myself. And he said, well, we'll see. Well, of course, I went to Dr. Johnson and talked to him about it. We had a meeting with Coach Robinson and they allowed me to go in to the locker room and pray with the team as the former student government president had. Just an example of the time, sign of the time, but yes, there were women all around the student government and student organizations and student involvement. Let me just also say, we had women in leadership too. Uh, Dr. Ruby Higgins was the dean of students during that time. SDA reported directly to her. She was an advocate of women's rights, and so we were not only studying it; we would research what was going on around the country and what we were doing in the state of Louisiana, and particularly at Grambling.
0: That's really great, thank you for that. Uh, I really appreciate that. Um, You already mentioned a little bit about this, but maybe you can go into a little more detail. What was your tenure as SGA president like?
1: Well, I'm looking at an article that I will share with you to share with the students uh, uh, at at your disposal, Dr. McGowan. I'm looking at an article that was in the Gremlinite in 1978. And I'm sitting in the SGA office with the yearbooks behind me. I still have those yearbooks at my home. And I am have my head down. I have my suit and blouse on. And my, as if you're having a headache, I'm looking over these papers. And the article talks about financial woes of student government associations. And I thought, oh my God, here we are almost at the same time when I came to Grambling and not, returned to Grambling in 2017. Uh, when President Gallo was president, we were looking at the financial woes of the university. And here we are literally 40 something years later, almost 50 years, and we were looking at that in 2017. And I thought, oh my God, we're having the same issues that we had back then. So history for me as tenure was to continue the legacy, build on what was, and then embrace and plan for the future. There were simple things that were going on during that time when I was SGA president. We had a problem with shower curtains in the dormitory. Now, shower curtains, I remember I lived, I'm from here, so I lived at home my first two years before I moved on campus when I was student government president, which was mandated that I do. Um, and I wanted to move on campus, but I just stayed at home with, with my dad. It was right down, right over the overhead, second house on the right, down from the dollar store now. and. I remember saying, when the students came to me, they were like, we don't have shower curtains, Minette. My my middle name is uh, Suzanne Minette Mayo. So people knew me on campus as TANK, T-A-N-K, that was my nickname. TANK, we don't have any shower curtains. You got to get us some shower curtains in the dorm. This is crazy. What do you mean you don't have a shower curtain? You know, to me, shower curtains were simple, but it was a budgetary issue. It's like, do we buy the paper towels, do we buy the soap, do we buy, and I'm not sure people would take, I don't think the students were taking the shower curtains. I just think the shower curtains were maybe the the, the longevity of them. Something as simple as that became one of my thoughts. are we giving students the main items they need to live in an environment that they can produce and be great educators and scholars and then graduate? So we looked at every piece of that experience holistically from the student government perspective. And then we talked to the administration and the dean of students and faculty, the staff, because we wanted to find out maybe there were some other things on campus we were not doing. Food was always an issue. Do we have good food? If you want people to eat on campus for seven days a week and be on campus for 24 hours a day and study, we have to give them an environment that is conducive for them to do that. The other most important issue was academics. What are we learning, and is this gonna prepare us for the future? There were several student leaders on campus that had already focused on going to graduate school. That was a big deal in the uh, mid to, to early 70s. Prepare yourself here and move on. There were predominantly white schools trying to recruit people every day. I was one of them. I went on a graduate fellowship from Grambling to Texas A&M to graduate school. A $35,000 graduate fellowship in, nine, in the mid to late 1970s, which today, we, I can't find that fellowship for my students right now because it doesn't exist anymore. The federal government was looking. So as a, my tenure at SGA was academic support and enhancement, student engagement, and lifting the student body up, and then helping students that may not have the resources to buy an extra shower curtain or some extra soap or get the black dress that was required of you or black suit required of you to wear to a convocation every Sunday evening with your pearls and your heels on, because there was a dress code on campus during that time. So we didn't have a problem where you had to, you know, people would, were like we're dressing today. You knew better because you were a student at Grambling State University. So it was all about empowerment of the student.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. Um, you've already mentioned President Johnson uh, a couple of times. Uh, how would you describe the relationship between the SGA and President Johnson when, when you were a student?
1: Well, I came at a time to Grambling when the university was changing the name. So in 1974, Grambling College became Grambling State. Dr. Johnson became president when I was a secretary of the Student Government Association. When he came to Grambling, I was secretary and then I ran for SGA president. So my tenure sort of started when, I, when he was running for the, or, or buying for the presidency. So I got to know Dr. Johnson almost as intimately as I knew prayers because President Jones went to my church. My parents worked under him. He was a neighbor, if you know what I mean, because everybody was your neighbor. You didn't have, you know, you lived across town or on, on the way, as they say, the west side, the east side of town, or you lived in the village, or you. Wherever you lived, we were all home people. And remember, during that time, in the mid 70s, we would travel every Friday and return on Saturday night or Sunday because I traveled with the band because my father was head of the music department. So we really, we would see prayers and Coach Rob and all of the other individuals, faculty and staff, people on campus, just like they were family. So my relationship with Dr. Johnson grew out of that because he had been a student at Grambling. He was a graduate, that made a difference. He went here in the 1950s and 60s, 1950s. He knew when I was being born, he was in college. So I could talk to him about anything that we thought the students thought were important and that we thought ought to be addressed. Some of those had, Long-term implications. Something as simple as the Founders Day celebration and what you wore to, to uh, as I mentioned, a conversation. So when Dr. Johnson would look at the way people were dressing in the 70s, and I mean, we, we had our afros and we had our platform shoes, we were all colorful during that time. He said, there's a protocol and a decorum for how you dress when you go to certain events and people are coming here from across the world to speak and interact with our students, we have to put our images. We, today we call it branding, it was imagery back then. So my relationship and our SGA relationship with Dr. Johnson was not ever adversary. It was all about the bottom line. He used to say, in fact, the students are the bottom line. Everybody said it on campus, the alumni said it, the community, they wrote it in the papers, they put it on the airways. And so we knew that we were important, that everybody, somebody, the students knew we were the bottom line and everything that worked on this campus was transformational in that way. I called Dr. Johnson the enhancer. I know that we say he's years 77 and 91. When Prez was here, those were the building years. 1936 to 77. Could we have done then what we're doing now? Maybe some of it. The technology certainly would have been different. Technology was emerging then, but it was nothing like it is today. So I always say they were transformational years during that time, and students were the bottom line, and they still are
0: yeah thank you so much that's it's really really fantastic um you again you've touched on this a little bit but maybe you can go into some more detail um, how do you think grambling changed in the 1970s um, with the transition from the presidency of Ralph Waldo and Wilson Jones to uh, dr. Johnson
1: well I think the first thing is the landscape of the campus changed and we say that now you know we're, uh, president Gallo now has um, a whole list of buildings that we're looking at that you know, last week at the board meeting where, because, of course, I've been following the board for 40 years uh, pretty much, and that's just something I do. Uh, the business of Louisiana, I've always worked. I worked for the senator from Louisiana for, for 30 years in Washington, D.C., Bennett Johnson. And so I've always looked at the board, what the Louisiana system is doing, the board of regions, what's going on in higher education, since the 1970s, since I was actually a student at Gramlin. So the landscape, and when I wanna say landscape, I'm not just talking about the buildings, I'm talking about the synergy of the academic discipline, the academic empire changed during the presidency between Jones and Johnson. And when I say that, the academic programs just began to blossom now remember now the federal government was putting money into the development of universities and colleges because the Morrill act had been passed in congress which said you cannot give ivy league institutions less money than you give land grant institutions historically black colleges and there was the emergence of major technical schools like louisiana tech and hispanic serving institutions so now we thought in Washington we were making it happen right by giving all of the schools pockets of money in the 70s and into the 80s. But the, dissent contr- con- uh, the consent decree, the federal dissent that said you need, you have to be fair with giving resources, money, support, faculty, etc. During that time we awarded a number of degrees the legislature was appropriating money for facilities, buildings. They were appropriating matching funds for computer labs. You had sports growing. You had the enrollment growing and grambling during this time, but we were still behind. And so we did great things and we thought we were leveraging the 70s and 80s with getting that, but that change between the Jones R.W. Jones years, the building years, And enhancing years. It'd be interesting from a historical standpoint to see what have we really gained over the years that could have been done differently had we had the resources, personal people, and money as well as technology. I don't know the answer to that. That's somebody's dissertation to do uh, in your class, Dr. McGowan, when they go to graduate school and 20 2020 30 or 20 <laughs> 2040 where we're getting into 100 years since I was here
0: That's right yeah Um all right well you know thank you for for discussing so much of uh, Grambling when when you were when you were there um, what did you do after graduating from Grambling
1: Well as I mentioned I got a fellowship to go to Texas A&M University um, in 1979 I left Uh, I think we had graduation on Sunday and Monday morning I started my graduate work at Texas A&M in urban planning and I thought I was going to be an urban planner. I was a social scientist. I decided that I was going to get this master's degree and I studied at Texas A&M for a year and unfortunately I had breast cancer uh, going into my second year as I was about to graduate and unfortunately I did not finish my master's degree. I left school and I was just uh, very, very sick. I went to Washington, D.C. to have surgery. Uh, my uncle there got a wonderful uh, oncologist who worked with me at Howard University. I had the surgery and recuperated actually across the street from the United States Senate and all my friends came to visit me. They worked with me there and I then returned to Grambling. Dr. Johnson heard I'd been sick with cancer and he asked me to come back to Grambling and to be a, recruit- a recruiter. And so I answered the call and I um, came back to Grambling in 1981, and 80 to 80, 1980. I left in '79, came that next year, December of '81, 80 to '81. Spent a year here as recruiter, and um, we had a program where we recruited students from around the country and the world to go to HBCUs. It was the Moton Foundation; they were investing in HBCUs, and I was was one, one of the two recruiters from Grambling who traveled. All 15 of us in these black colleges went around the country to urban cities and four foreign countries. And we uh, increased enrollment. It went significantly up during the Johnson administration. I think we went from uh, 4,000, less than 3,000 students to 4,593 students in 1983. And that was a good result of the great work that the recruiters did around the country. It was a concerted effort from the Department of Education to get students from urban cities to go to historical black colleges uh, because students were not going to, to college from urban cities. And so uh, we loved that, that work. I loved it. I, I told Dr. Johnson I would stay forever, but I had to go to Washington, D.C. I got a job offer to work for Bennett Johnston, the Senator from Louisiana in 1981, and I left and I, Didn't look back. I stayed on Capitol Hill until uh, 1986 when the Congressional Black Caucus offered me an opportunity to be the assistant director. I did that for the next six years. And uh, Doug Williams came to town as the first black quarterback of the Redskins. And I worked for him at night to create his foundation for youth. And we trained young people in Washington, D.C. how to be leaders, scholars and leaders and athletes. And then um, I told Doug, I gotta go start my own business. And I left him after a number of years, left his foundation intact, and went to graduate school to get my doctorate. And I spent another four years in Kansas, and I said, I'm gonna stay out here at Kansas State University. My dad always wanted me to get a doctorate, so I went to Kansas State to be a fundraiser in Bowie State. And I left Kansas, came back to New Orleans after I finished my doctorate, taught there, And then Wiley College asked me to be the Vice President of Institution Advancement. I'm a fundraiser by training. That's what I did in Washington DC for the Senator and for many members of Congress. I was the one that went on the campaign trail for about 30 years and helped um, number about 52 members of Congress get elected. So I went to Uh Texas after in uh, 2012 and then I got cancer again. And um, I decided I was gonna retire and I came to Grambling and I came home for homecoming and I have never left. I'm now cancer free. I've written about eight books and I'm still doing research and I'm teaching now. Proud to be a member of the Department of Family and Consumer Sciences, which is what I got my doctorate in. And um, I'm on my third career now teaching and in jo- doing what somebody did for me. I'm listing as I'm building as I live.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, that's quite the journey that you've had, and, and thank you so much for sharing it with us. Uh, the the last student that our the last question rather that our um, industrious students have put together for you is um, kind of a reflective one. What are some of the biggest changes that you see between Grambling when you were an undergraduate and now?
1: Well, I guess I've lived long enough at the age of 64 now in 2022 to say, you live long enough just to see the good things that you've done and hope that you've made a change along the way to model for future leaders across the world to do after you go. But I think one of my biggest challenges and the biggest changes that I've seen since returning to Grambling and during the time I was in college versus now is the economic impact of the Graham fam from a historical, holistic and wonderful experience. And I've spoken about this as you've asked me many questions, but I wanna talk about it now from um, the biggest changes I think are the economic changes. Um, We talk about gown and I don't know if the students know what gown in town means. Let me just tell them what that is. It is, in fact, the historical significance of the past experienced in the present, but always looking to the future. And from an economical standpoint, uh, and I own my own business, I'm always looking at, you know, what's, what's the business, what's the blueprint, what's the business significance of Grambling University, Grambling State University, and Grambling the town? And and I'll give you just a little bit of what that what the changes are. When I grew up at Grambling, and when I was in school here as a student, there were stores in the village. The village was the village. And I and I say that you know people laugh at me. What do you mean by that? I, I've told the people in my church, you know, without the village being the village, it's kind of hard to imagine you're walking to your grocery store, which is on main which is on Main Street. The Tiger Inn restaurant, Alice's Cafe, Spivey's, Mike's Cafe, the uh, Collegiate Shop, the Penny's Cafe, the people at Grambling—these are all restaurants that existed in Grambling. It was an insurance. The insurance agency is still here, Mr. Gray's insurance agency. You could go get the notary right here. You didn't have to worry about going to get your your fingerprints done somewhere because you could go in the village and do it. The post office was there. Some of those businesses are still there, but by and large, those businesses were people that went to this institution, who grew up in this town, who reinvested in the town. Faculty, staff, students, alumni, and individuals. We didn't have to go to Walmart because everything we needed was right here. That has been a change that I think we need to look at. The village gave you pride, it gave you a sense of a belonging, a sense of community, and it was nurtured by people who had children who lived here, who then went on to high school, who then went to college, and then became employees. Now, that's not saying other people can't have that right now, but it is, that's a change that I think we've got to go back to establishing so that we can have people investing into the community. You would, I remember going to a football game once and my mother literally had some of her students from Westside High School in Bernice. And we were walking down the stadium. This is the old stadium over by uh, Knott Hall now. And she said, this is Miss Jones. This is Dr. Williams, she's gonna be your English teacher. Here's Mr. DuPlanter, he's gonna be your science teacher. Here's Mr. Sterling, he's gonna be your math teacher. And so she's pointing out people and she's introducing them to their future mentors in their careers. That sense of nurturing is something only you can get at a school like Grammar. I'm not saying we don't do enough of that now. What I am saying is that we have to continue to evolve doing that and use technology today to help us connect. So that we can build a core of leaders in the future that connect with us once they leave this institution and become alumni. I was alumni president for 10 years. After I left Grambling State and went to Washington, there was not a proposal that came to Washington DC to get funded that Dr. Johnson didn't put on a plane or call me and say we're applying to the Department of Ed I need you to call Mr. Jones over in the Department of Ed and call him or whoever's in that agency, USDA, State Department, because you got gremlinites all over the world sitting in agencies and corporations. That's the change that we've got. That's the difference between then and now. We're doing it, but we've got to get back to some of the ways of doing it and enhance and build on it for the future. We've got to we already know what we're doing works. And it can continue to work and with the leadership that we have to continue that and with new and innovative ideas and students that are gonna bring us to another level, faculty and staff that are gonna take them to the height of their careers. I think we even if the changes were then, I'm excited about the future for my alma mater and for my town. And I just love being a part of it. my small little piece of the history is important. But I look forward to the new innovation of the new leaders that are come, going to come behind us and going to make this institution grow and continue to grow for generations to come. For my children's children and my children's children's children.
0: Well, thank you so much, Dr. Mayo. We really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to talk with us today. And um, on behalf of the students of the History Department and the faculty, um, I just want to reiterate our, our tremendous thanks for you to take some time out of your busy day to discuss the history of Grambling with us. So thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you so much. Go Tigers! Thank you for listening to our Voices of Grambling podcast. Questions were written by Simone Mon. Natalie Warren, Aja Edwards, and Alexandra Williams, all students in Grambling State University's History Department. The Voices of Grambling Podcast is a production of the History Department at Grambling State University. It is developed by the students and faculty. Funding for the 2021 Rebirth Grants has been administered by the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities and provided by the National Endowment for the Humanities as part of the American Rescue Plan and the NEH Sustaining the Humanities through the American Rescue Plan Initiative. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this program do not necessarily represent those of the National Endowment for the Humanities. And, and thank, thank you so, you so much, much for, for listening. listening.